please turn your attention to center court as we welcome one of our newest Raptors, Danny Green, to help us jumpstart tonight's game. Over to you, Danny. Hello, hello, hello. On behalf of myself, my teammates, and the whole Raptors organization, I want to thank you guys for coming out tonight and showing your love and support each and every game. I feel warm welcome every time I step here, so thank you very much. Go Raptors. Here's Leonard. Finds Danny Green. Corner three. Rocking up. Green drills it. A beautiful pass by Kawhi Leonard. Need him the rebound. Now the Hayward played him tough. Definitely intimidated the shot. Danny denied. Double barrel action. Green and Leonard there to say no. Into the near corner in front of his own bench. Danny Green busts it. East side triple. Smooth for Danny Green. And Danny Green up. From behind. As soon as the trade was made, everybody on paper knew the potential for this team, particularly offensively. Uh, are we starting to see the results of that now as you guys move through game four? Uh, as soon as the trade was made, I looked at the potential defensively, and that's what I was most excited about and what we could possibly be. I mean, obviously, that's we're going to score the ball, but defensively, I like the lineups that we have, the depth that we have, and I think that's what's going to get us to where we want to go and hopefully be the last team standing. So we got to get that into the floor first, and then offense will take care of itself. What's up, associates? This is Free Association on Sportsnet.ca. I am JD Bunkus. He is Donovan Bennett. You and I are twinning today. A couple of green jacket boys. How do you feel about that? We look like we're like a military brigade. It's fall. All of his yeah, all of is in. Do you think I pulled off pink with olive today? No. I thought it was kind of a good look. What's pink and olive? Why did I feel like these two colors go well together and I thought this was okay? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying this was a miss today. Yes. I thought it was coming strong, to the, but uh, turns out not so. I want to start today's podcast with Danny Green. And why is because the theme of this beginning is that he's been largely overlooked. He was on Good Show last week, and I talked to him about this, this idea that he's been a good throw-in, right? Oh, it's a fine chip to have. And toss in Danny Green in the trade, but it's all about Kawhi Leonard, rightfully so to a certain degree. You're getting one of the best players in the NBA, and you're trading out one of the most beloved players in franchise history. Of course, the conversation is going to be largely about Kawhi and secondarily about DeMar DeRozan or vice versa. But Danny Green has been largely lost in the shuffle. And as we've seen the Raptors early this season, it has been remarkable to me how little we we discussed his potential impact on this team. Because say what you will about the last two seasons, which have seen a decline in his numbers. He has not been the same guy as he's approached his late 20s, early 30s, as he was uh, earlier in his San Antonio career. We all acknowledge that. He's not quite the same shooter. He's not quite the same defender. But... Matching up against a lot of these teams, a couple things have been very apparent to me. One is that him versus Jakob Pertl for the aspirations that you have this season and the redundancy you have on your roster is very clear that Danny Green is more valuable in 2018 than Jakob Pertl to most teams in the NBA. And I think the Raptors are one of them. So clearly there was an upgrade there, even if it is only for the one year. But two is that as of right now, I trust Danny Green more than I trust CJ Miles. I trust him more than I trust Norman Powell. And so for wing depth, when you were looking for three and D players, Danny Green provides things for you that I don't know if those guys, I don't know if CJ Miles is ever going to be that good. And I don't know if Norm Powell is ever going to be able to elevate his game to, to that area. But in that game against the Celtics, it was just very noticeable to me with all the switching and all the weapons they had, how valuable a defender like Danny Green is. And there was a couple of moments early in the game where Danny Green was just doing vintage Danny Green stuff and locking up step for step with Jalen Brown. Uh, he took a charge uh, right after he knocked down a big corner three for the Toronto Raptors. And he was doing similar stuff in the third quarter. I just think Danny Green is a very reliable veteran presence they have right now. And as they're trying to phase in Kawhi Leonard, you're not having to give him minutes. He's just, he's a very good fit with this Raptors team. And we probably didn't appreciate that going into this season. I think the key is you don't have to give him minutes that his play has been steady, steady, no matter who he's played with, no matter how much he's played. My real thing has been the defense, whether it was the double pressure with him and Kawhi playing great perimeter defense. And I don't know who the, the last Raptor I felt like this about, just feel like when the when the game is getting junked up a little bit and you know possessions are, are getting more and more valuable, he's going to come out of a crowd with a loose ball. He's going to you know be intuitive and, and figure out where ball is going to drop. He's going to follow you know a player going to the basket and 
whose layup's not for sure, and he's going to follow it and make sure and, and tap it home. I think intangibles get overblown, and we just describe them That's to probably people true. that we like, right? But I think his intangibles is why he's part of a great acquisition. Quite tangibly, he's great. Physically, he jumps off the page at you when you're watching the game. He's put up great numbers. He's played heavy minutes. If we, if we were to say that he was going to be playing 37 minutes in week one of the season, we, we would have been surprised. At least I would have been. Green, a lot of what he does is intangible. Team goes on a big run. He's not playing. First off the bench, high fives. Notices something. Says it to Norm. Says it to OG. Been really, really surprised. And to your point about Pirtle, people have been like, yeah, his, his impact right now already better than what Pirtle would have given you. I agree, but I also agree not just with Green. I agree because what Nick Nurse has done, and I mean, let's not put him in Springfield in the Hall of Fame yet, but what he's done with splitting up his two bigs. Maybe the most impactful coaching decision so far this season. It's it's actually alleviated Mm -hmm. the need for Pirtle because you're getting better production than you would have got for Pirtle from whoever that second center is coming off the bench, whether it's JV or whether it's Serge. In the configuration of the way this lineup is, you almost got Danny Green in a way for free. Yeah, it's it's funny, though, because, yeah, I think when the trade originally happened and Danny Green was more of a throw-in in the deal and something to help make contracts line up, that you did feel as though, oh, it stinks that you're losing Jakob Pirtle because you have bench mob and you have this cohesive unit that works for you. And he's a good passer and he's a good rim protector and he just does a lot of things. He doesn't need to have the ball on him. I runs the floor. Well, that's disappointing that you're losing a promising young big man in this trade. And it's a plus for San Antonio. But yeah, as of right now with this aspiration, again, I think that so far the return on Danny green has been quite positive, even though he's not knocking down threes so far this season at an insane clip. He hasn't shied away from them either. I think he's oh, he's up around seven a game so far this this year. He's just he's shooting a ton of them. He's not afraid to pull the trigger whatsoever. But he's not just a guy again that you have to pl- you have to play with Kawhi Leonard. He's a guy that you want to play with Kawhi Leonard. And so far this season, he has looked better than C.J. Miles, and he's looked better than Norm Powell. And he's a really nice piece to have for a Raptors team that's going to have to close games against really good opponents. Do you want to talk about Kawhi? Because I that's like this is the only time all season we're going to talk about Danny Green ahead of Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah, correct. So your early impression of Kawhi Leonard or your early Kawhi Leonard takeaway thought. This looked great. And the shot is not even all the way there, especially in the mid-range where he's actually been a killer. I mean, there's some metrics that say he's better in mid-range than even DeMar Rosen was. Yeah. But he's he's looked great. The three ball looks like it's coming, even though the only ones he's hit, he's been wide open. But he's getting to the rim. He's attacking offensively. He's been active defensively. But more than anything, he's been engaged. Some of the best things I saw were how hard he's fighting through screens, how hard he's arguing and fighting with officials for bad calls. And if, if anyone thought that he was just going to levy on Bell this year and try and get through healthy and get to free agency, one – if you just look at the nah, player, he's too much of a basketball lover for that. He he's he's too much of a competitor. The, the only reason he was elite was because he was so uber competitive. I mean, we've saw that if he doesn't feel like playing, he's just not going to play. The Spurs found that out. So I never thought that was going to be the case. And now no one has any doubt. He's looked great. I was of the belief that, listen, if he goes off for 45, let's not overreact. If he goes off for 11, Let's not overreact. It's early days. Having said that, call me overreacting because I've been really, really happy with what I've seen. I have two. I have two. I would say that there's a OG and an OB element here where not that like OG was not supposed to play until January with some timelines last season. So him playing was much more of a shock. We knew Kawhi Leonard was going to play out of the gate, but to see him get those heavy minutes that you referenced earlier is pretty great sign of confidence in a player's health, not only from the staff, but from the player himself. Kawhi Leonard knows that he needs to stay healthy this year to get uh, a great contract, and he wants to stay healthy. Who doesn't? So him sitting on a back-to-back I don't think is at all a big deal. I don't think it even hurts potentially his MVP candidacy. I don't even know how many times it'll happen this season, but he's really healthy, and he's confident in his body, which is huge. The shot looks... Yeah, go I ahead. Mean, I hate cutting you off. No, no, no. Although, go, no, go cut. I probably should do it more. You, should, you probably should. Can we pump the brakes on the MVP chance? 
Can we act like okay? We, yeah, of course. Like uh, no, but don't say of course because I because I tweet that and a lot of people got mad at me. It was game two. I know, but that's like, what we do. You, but why? But why that's what do everyone that? does now. No, not everyone. Yes, that's like everyone does. Kevin that Durant for, didn't get MVP chance in game two. Well, that's because they had the, to show respect for Steph Curry, the true MVP of that team. Kyrie didn't get MVP chance in game two. Like, wait. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. I don't know. And 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 that was from a fan base. Maybe some people were still upset to see Isaiah Thomas go. That's the last guy they gave MVP chance to. But like. No one's even talking about MVP. Like, I know, can but we, that's just can we wait no- till like twenty-five games into yeah, the season okay. when know, the MVP <sighs> articles start to come yeah, out? Like but no MVP one, tracker. But no one. Anthony tweeting, Davis had a great week this week. No one's actually screaming or chanting MVP. Uh, Nineteen thousand really eight hundred people are. No, no, no. What I mean is, no one's chanting that with the true belief that he is currently the MVP of the league. All it is is now a sign of respect to your team's best player. That you're our MVP. Then, just, chant, that, then chant his name. No, but the chant's evolved. It's it's evolved. No, it's it's easier to chant MVP than Kawhi. Kawhi. Actually, I would disagree. No, it's only, get out it's, of it's here. one less syllable. No, it's I, everyone can get it on pace. Sound as fluid. I'm just saying, hey, no, no one's no one's shouting it with true intention. Of this guy is now the MVP of the season. Everyone knows it's two two games in or three games if, in or four games. If in. it's not with true intention, why are you doing it? So then, why be committed? So at what point do you feel it's fair for the MVP chant to start? Then? I said 25 games in. 25. And that's that's that's, that's full still, too. 25 that's, games in last year, we thought DeRozan was going to be an MVP candidate. We didn't really think that. I we just mean, wa- we just that. wanted him to be in the conversation because we'd feel good about ourselves. No one <laughs> thought he was going to be winning Maybe the you award. That Adam yourself. Silver's going to be at half court giving him the word in the first round of the playoffs. I, I think you're being too literal with your interpretation oh, of the MVP you thought, you, thought, you thought James Harden was going to lose it no. to DeMar DeRozan? I just think that <laughs> chanting MVP is a sign of respect more than anything. And I've been really impressed by how Raptors fans have treated Kawhi Leonard, but I'm not surprised because, yeah, Raptors fans are amazing. And oh, of course you're going to make a guy feel good. My mistake. I must be crazy. I thought chanting MVP was a sign that you, you think you that player you know is what? the MVP. You're showing your age now, sir. Okay, <laughs> you I sound like a grumpy well, old man. We're showing our our lack of basketball age as a fan base. Yep. When we do things like chant MVP in the second game. And like, yeah, I get it. You want to take Kawhi to prom. I get mm-hmm. it. But like, just don't act so desperate. Okay. Yeah, listen, like, I, I don't think it does, at, is desperate you, so far. You it's you just showing to, love. You don't have to put like pictures of yourself all over Kawhi's locker to ask him to prom. Yeah, it's it's fine. Raptors fans can cheer him how they see fit. In fact, I can't see how more love is hurting the Kawhi thing. So my last thought on it before we move on is just, you mentioned the shot looks pretty good. It's funny to me that the numbers, if you look at them game by game, just from the shooting numbers, and I bet you shot chart wise, they're very similar to DeMar DeRozan. Oh, like yeah. they're uh, like making big threes is maybe a little bit different, but DeRozan can take three a game or whatever Kawhi's shooting right now. And the mid-range twos are celebrated with Kawhi, but derived when it was DeRozan. But the the thing I love most about watching him right now, my, my, uh, my, I don't know, soup de jour <laughs> watching Kawhi is I love watching him get rebounds where it's just his hands where mm-hmm. he just, he's like flat footed and he's just scooping rebounds from the sky with his talons. That to me is the best, but yeah, so far so great with Kawhi Leonard, a little bit of, I think he'll incorporate his teammates more as he, he gets a little bit more comfortable with the offense and he starts feeling more comfortable about his game. Cause I think some people might be a little concerned with how many isolation plays there are for him so far and how he is playing some pretty selfish basketball, but it's okay because ultimately this is all geared towards him getting going. If you're seeing the same Kawhi Leonard three months into the season, I would say gotta change some things about his game. But as of right now, just need him to start feeling comfortable, get that jump shot, right. Get his own individual game, right. And then start worrying about finding teammates and and working the ball around. Agree. Yeah. So he misses game three against wizards. Big win. I actually, I think the most impressive game the Raptors have had, and I'm including the win over the Celtics. Yeah, that's right. I said, it. wow. The wizards game me that sloppy, ugly wizards game. On the road. Sure. Uh, back to back. Let's back game. to you back. Can give me all the narratives. You no want. Kawhi just... coming, riding high, coming, coming off of a big win against Celtics. Like it's the typical, right? You, you're coming off of that win. You're going to have a let me down professional approach. Okay. Uh, anyways, let's, let's take a quick break. And then I'm going to tell you about the, the real measuring stick game, which is how the Raptors and the Celtics match up. But before we do that, Let's just talk to you again about Sportsnet Now, which Donovan and I both use. This is a product that we stand by because it helps us with not only our jobs, but our fandom. And again, it's a very busy time in the sports season. It's a very busy time in the sports calendar. And for those of you that are like me that have a tablet... 
that have a laptop, that have your television screen. There's no better way to employ these things as a sports fan than to have something like Sportsnet now where you can run it reliably without any viruses. The the time delay is very minimal on this on this app. You get so many other features with Sportsnet now. It's incredible. It's it's one of the products I think that we've that Sportsnet has done the best. And again, we don't really need to shill for it too much because you should probably already have it, but it's the consummate tool for I think any sports fan that's involved in multiple sports. So I used to just use the app exclusively because you can, if you're, you know, so did if, I. If, if you can, uh, if you got data, um, oh, yeah. you can, you can watch video via the app, but now the new inclination of now has a little exclusive, some added content to make it a little bit sweeter for you to pay some of your hard earned money for it. And so now I'm a now guy. I'm not going to lie. I still use the app for scores, but if I'm actually watching and streaming, Hell yeah. I use it now. Yeah. So do I. So again, you just get. A ridiculous amount of content here. You get obviously all of our channels: Sportsnet East, Ontario West, Pacific One, Three Hundred and Sixty, Sportsnet World, the Sportsnet Radio Networks on there. Sportsnet.ca is there. It's all at your fingertips, and there's just so much content, right? Like you're just getting MLB, you're getting the postseason, so you can watch Dodgers, Red Sox, you can watch the Raptors play, you can watch the Toronto Maple Leafs, you can watch the Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks, whatever you want. WWE, if if that's your thing, and and again, it's it's uh, offered at a reduced price right now of only 20 bucks a month uh, for direct-to-consumer customers. And it remains available. No additional cost for Sportsnet Cable, Satellite, and IPTV subscribers. So yeah, get Sportsnet now. Raptors and Celtics. They've already played a game. They're, to me and to you and to, I think, most observers, the class of the Eastern Conference. We've discussed this a little bit in private. I don't know if we brought it so much to the microphone, but that the Sixers had a ultimately pretty disappointing offseason. If you just look at the rosters side by side, sure, there's a case to be made that there's a leap this year for Ben Simmons. There's a leap for a healthy Joel Embiid and that those two guys are the best one-two punch out of everybody else that's in the conversation with the Raptors or the Celtics. The problem is, is that we know now it's a depth league. We know now that the league is moving more to lineup flexibility, that this is not just unique to the Toronto Raptors of trying to figure out what a different closing lineup is. You'll see this with all kinds of different groups, all the way to the Golden State Warriors, to the Houston Rockets, to the Los Angeles Lakers, who are experimenting with this right now. Depth is integral in not only coming out at the top of the pile in the regular season, but being able to be flexible to defeat whatever opponent you have on a regular night. And frankly, the 76ers do not have it. JJ Redick is arguably their third best player. I don't trust Robert Covington. Markel Fultz has a long way to go. The, the Sixers, frankly, to me, are not in the conversation with those two teams. It's, it's the Raptors and the Celtics. And we got an early look at these two teams. And what I wonder from you is it's, it's game two of the season that they played each other, right? Mm-hmm. But here's my question. Who do you think has more room to grow? Because the Raptors won that game, but I came out of it thinking the Celtics are going to be the team that has the higher ceiling in terms of what we saw that night and where they can get going because of how rusty Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving looked in that basketball game. I agree. I also think that it's going to take Brad Stevens some time to figure out his rotations. Scary Terry closed a lot last year when when Kyrie was hurt, did it very well. Is there a world where he's closing with Kyrie? That exposes us defensively. What are we doing there? Um, what is the role of Marcus Smart on this team? How do we... Bench. Car- <laughs> well, yeah, For just, against the Raptors in a playoff game, bench. To, to start, yeah. But, I mean, he gives them... We talk about edge and For attitude. Sure. He gives them some edge and attitude. He also gives them three-point lo- shots that they definitely do not want in their offense that come crunch time in a playoff game. Sure, but there's a lot of teams in the league sure, who would love to have Sorry, Marcus I didn't Smart mean to, I didn't mean to railroad you. I just, I'm, uh, he's I, Draymond Green to me where he's a good player. Uh, it's just that if you're playing the Celtics and Marcus Smart is taking shots, you're like, okay, that's a win for our defense. True, but Draymond Green closes every single yep. game for yes, the Warriors. Yes, sir, he does. So, Much better, too, though. It's disrespectful. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I think it's going to take some time for these things to work themselves out with Brad Stevens. Not to say that Nick Nurse, who's being a head coach for the first time, doesn't have similar issues. I just think some of the Raptors' depth parts, although not necessarily with the same ceiling as the Celtics, they're a little bit more palatable. Whether you're putting Miles in a situation or whether you're putting Powell in a situation, 
or green, you're, you're, you're kind of getting similar results where I think the Celtics parts are vastly more different. The other thing is you're right. Hayward, not all the way there back. His ankle's already hurting. His back's already hurting. Kyrie doesn't look to be as explosive as he was to start last year. Yeah, very small sample size so far, but he looks like he has a long, long way to get back. He also looks like he's playing at the Y with his... Like his headband, headband, head tie a thing. Little bit of hair growth. Like what? Like I, yeah, I, I, I saw him doing that, like in summer, like just pickup games. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, that's cute, whatever. But now he's doing that in the NBA. Like there are <laughs> Getty photographers who are taking older. photos of you. He looks older. He looks like he's trying to transform himself into Uncle Drew Jr. He's. He looks like he's trying too hard, and it's not. What working. Kyrie Irving, the biggest tryhard ever. Well, try, Kyrie to me is one of the most. I know he's intelligent, but he's the guy who has to tell you all the time how smart he is, and I find that to be very annoying when it comes to Kyrie Irving. Like, he tells everyone the world is flat, and then he's like, oh, I've been, I'm, I'm wise to all of this. I'm just saying question what you read. I'm like, okay, Kyrie, thanks, buddy. Like, we just really need that. To me, the, the big delineation between these two teams is the Celtics have so many more guys that can get you a bucket on their own. The Raptors are, I think, just as deep in terms of players you can put in a postseason game. But it was pretty noticeable to me that when the Raps took both Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry off the floor, that they didn't really have natural creators. They went with a lineup that was, I think the first lineup without them during that game was Van Vliet, Norm, OG, Miles, and JV. And we've been kind of believing as, you know, as Raptors commentators and fans and media for a really long time that, this would be a good system for a guy like Jonas Valanciunas. And we saw some some good moments from him in the in the Washington game where he was more aggressive with his offense and he was able to to get his own baskets. But JV's not a he he can't handle the basketball. He's not going out and getting it at the perimeter. You have to find a way to get an entry pass to him. He's not the the first line of attack when it comes to this. With the Celtics, they just have Terry Rozier, who you mentioned, who can close the basketball game. Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That's five guys right there that I really trust in a crunch time moment being able to come up with a basket. And frankly, with the Raptors, they have Kawhi Leonard, who's probably better than all of those guys. Uh, Jason Tatum feels like he has such a high ceiling, it's really hard to say as an offensive player. But even Kyle Lowry, he's so important in terms of initiating your offense and being able to come down the floor and knock down a pull-up three or dash into the middle of the defense and find another player or get to the basket for a foul. But I don't think of... Kyle Lowry as necessarily a lights out individual score. And especially as they get later into the season, I think that if you're relying on lineups for Kyle Lowry to constantly be pulling you together and getting you a bucket, that could be a bit of a problem. And this brings me to Norm Powell because Norm Powell got a start the other night and he's been getting minutes with DeLon right out. And I didn't realize until this point of the season that the opportunity Norm Powell has in front of him to make himself a valuable player on this team and how disappointing largely his game has been so far. Norm Powell can attack the basket. Norm Powell has a decent shot. He's got a decent pull-up shot. If he can find a way to, his handle's been a little disappointing, I gotta say, but if he can find a way to insert himself as a creator with this Toronto Raptors team, I think that he's one of the guys with the higher ceiling in terms of, hey, we need a bucket off the bench. Who's going to initiate our offense? Who's going to be the creator of our offense? DeLon Wright has a really good case. We haven't seen him so far this season, and we already know what he can do as a passer and as a driver, and we saw some flashes of what he can do as a shooter last season. But right now, Norm Powell is a unique guy from C.J. Miles where you don't want C.J. Miles going to the basket. When C.J. Miles going to the basket, you're saying to yourself, no, 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 no. Same with Danny Green. There, there isn't even Fred Van Vliet to a certain extent, like he can make you a big bucket, but he is an undersized player that is going to get rejected or have a shot altered at the rim. A lot of times he's not as explosive as Norm Powell. I think the raps need either DeLon or Norm Powell to establish themselves as a guy they can reliably get off the bench to get a bucket. For once, I don't disagree. I know people are going to look at that as a negative in terms of the Raptors just beat the Celtics. And you want to talk about what they don't have compared to the Celtics, but Again, this Raptors team matches up really well, and they can slow down the Celtics' options on defense. I thought Siakam early in that game on Jason Tatum forced him into impossible shots. Danny Green matched up well with Jalen Brown. They have OG Ananobi, who is almost as good as it gets as a perimeter defender already in the second year in the league. Serge Ibaka looks rejuvenated, and we'll talk about him in a second. But I just, I really love the pieces they have defensively. It's just that when it gets down to it and you need a basket, 
Can you rely on somebody other than your two stars? And right now, I'm not sure you can. I, I Siakam did do a, a great job on Tatum, as did Green at times. I was watching that game, and I'm like, the Celtic I'm the most afraid of right? Jason Tatum. For for sure. More than for Hayward. For sure. More than Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's going to get to his spots. He's going to finish with ridiculous English on the, again, on the glass. Like, I get that. But Tatum just takes and makes a lot of tough shots. He's disgusting. His his ability to get separation at like around the three-point line and go into the basket is incredible. And it was funny because ESPN had a panel where they were talking about him. Paul Pierce was there, and people were saying, who do you remind him of? He's like, I guess a little bit me. And Chauncey Billups chimed in immediately like, you never had that handle. And it's so true. <laughs> it's like he is a Paul Pierce-esque type player, but with a better handle already in his career. And, yeah, it was that first game of the season. And, you know, like as we said, we'll give more time for Irving and Hayward to get themselves acclimated and get back to where we've seen those guys play. But ceiling-wise, I, I could very well see a situation where Jason Tatum is the alpha there. He's the go-to scorer in crunch time for them just based on his size and shooting ability. And I wonder if that leads into a guy like Kyrie Irving, who's a free agent, who didn't want to be the second fiddle to LeBron. Maybe he doesn't want to be second fiddle to Jason Tatum. Yeah, I mean, I see your Paul Pierce comparison. I raise you a Paul George comparison. Like, I think he's going to be better than Paul George. Maybe, but just as far as this, this, Offense, the tools be. that he has in, in his toolbox, his ability to raise and fire from three. Wait, his, you his think ability. Paul George is better than Paul Pierce? No, he had a better career, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, similarities in their games. Okay. They're, they're, Paul Pierce would, would kill you slowly from the mid-range, but he also had lots of holes in his game offensively. Paul George is a complete offensive nightmare. He just doesn't imply himself as much and doesn't take over basketball games in the same way. He's kind of passive, and I think, in a way, Tatum at times is kind of passive, which is why when you bring up the fact that Kyrie's going to play second fiddle, I don't think he is because... Part of the issue with playing LeBron is that you have to deal with daddy LeBron. Regardless of not, if you're the best player, he controls the temperature in the room mm-hmm. all of the time. He's the one screaming in the huddles. He lectured his Lakers teammates about how to pick somebody up off of the floor. Like it was a teaching moment mm-hmm. for him. Relax, Oprah. Just play basketball. <laughs> and I don't think Tatum is going to have that issue. He's a little bit more subservient. Yeah. And I mean, he's a Duke guy, so he's going to bow to the altar of Kyrie. Uh, I don't know. I, I the, what the Jason Tatum I see looks a little bit more sure of himself than maybe the one you see. Because to me, it was, I, I think he knew in that game against the Sixers, the first one, that he was the best player on the floor, not anybody else, not Joel Embiid, not Ben Simmons. And I'll say this, it's already done. There's nothing that can change this because Markel Fultz just isn't that guy. And I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. The Celtics acquiring Fultz, or sorry, acquiring Tatum for Fultz is going to go down as one of the all-time, oh my God, trades in the history of the NBA. Like, how did you let that happen? This isn't going to be Antoine Jameson for Vince Carter, where you're like, ah, well, both teams got good guys. And even though Vince was better at his career, Antoine had moments. It's like, no, 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 no. It ain't going to be any of that. This is just simply going to be, you got a decent bench point guard for... One of the best players in the NBA. What's uh, that noise you just made? No, 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 you threw a couple other sounds in there. Oh, uh, maybe. I think Fultz could, he could settle for like a field goal to make it not as bad. Like he could backdoor <laughs> cover. So it's like maybe, Curry yeah, compared to Johnny Flynn or Curry no, compared to worse. Ricky Rubio. Rubio. Like he could, Rubio. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He can make it so good, he's, that's better. He's a good player, goes to yeah. the playoffs, he's a nice guy. Yeah, that's better. Or he's out of the league, he's playing in China. No, no, he won't be Johnny Flynn bad, I don't think. I don't hope anyways, but I, you're right. That's probably the most apt comparison. Uh, I said we're going to talk about Serge Baca. Let's do that on the other side of the break. I also want to talk a little bit more about the Lakers because they had the suspensions come get handed down. And of course, love and hate. That's next on Free Association. Another technical foul's been handed out. Now Ingram looks like he's confronting Jason Phillips. It's hot now. Paul oh, punches a throw. Paul and Rondo throwing punches. Ingram comes in. He's throwing punches. This is multiple ejections and suspensions. This is multiple ejections. Yeah, multiple suspensions ended up happening. 
and ejections happen. In fact, this was a this ball brawl was so wild because it's a Lakers home opener with LeBron James, so it's star studded in the audience, right? Like Lakers games by normal standards have a few stars sprinkled in here and there. But Anthony Kiedis is like screaming in Chris Paul's face. Travis Scott is on the baseline trying to get himself involved. There were so Don't many. Don't bury the lead. Who else was there? What am I? Who am Money I? Money Mayweather, Floyd, oh, I know, an actual fighter. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see him actually get involved with anyone though. Or start oh, he talking was clapping. Smack. It, he was clapping. It okay, up. but there was just so many celebrities. It was hilarious. It was like this is this is way too much. It's sensory uh, like overload here with everyone that's doing it. By the way, Anthony Kiedis doesn't get enough respect as a Lakers fan. I'm just going to say that Speak, he's the true number one to me. Speaking of, no, that's Jack. No, I'm just one. sure. Fine. Jack sits there at all the game. And, and Where's Jack's fire funny. song about the Lakers and magic Johnson. Cause Kiedis has that on mother's milk. Magic Johnson is an all time banger. Stand you, by that song. Speaking of Lakers fans. Have you heard the, the story that allegedly <laughs> um, Denzel Washington had to check with his assistant to see if he still had his Lakers tickets. No. Like, because obviously now he wants to go again, clearly. And he's like, hey, you know, Am I just Sam, been paying for these. Wh- however, whoever his assistant is, God, do I still have my tickets? Wealthy. Imagine being so wealthy well, that you just weren't even aware of your Lakers season's tickets, whether or not you were renewing them. Imagine your brand changing overnight. That was my biggest takeaway that this was a big night for the league. That first time since, I guess, Kobe in his height, that. The game's biggest star was aligned with their biggest brand. Yeah, I said it, Celtics fans and Knicks fans. They don't even get upset. The biggest star aligned with their biggest brand and the the entire world is watching. ESPN has like every NBA person in the building for a random 1030 start. And all we remember after the fact is there's a pruder tape of well, did Rondo spit? Did he, he spit intentionally? Spat. But he, he wears intentionally. He wears a mouth guard. So how does that work? Can you spit when you're wearing a mouth guard? And people are like doing like science projects on the internet to figure out like what the chances are. And then there's this whole thing of the spit actually came from Carmelo. No, that's a ridiculous theory, by the way. Internet, I'm, just, I'm not with I'm, that theory. I'm just telling you. Okay. NBA Twitter took it over yes. and not in the right reasons. Not what the the Sakakis <laughs> offices was hoping for. So we knew there was going to be drama with this Lakers season. I didn't think the first home game was going to involve a fight that had ejections. And I, I got a lot of thoughts on this. And I guess we'll do Serge Ibaka and love and hate after this. Yeah. Okay. Well, Number one is when I watched it live, I thought Brandon Ingram should have got more because I think it's such a cowardly move to come over the top and try to sucker punch somebody when you're not directly involved in the altercation. Like when did he become a studio gangster? Yeah, like, no, that, did I miss this? That, that was awful. Like truly that was an embarrassing moment for him. And he's, He's so long. He's a Gumby type figure, a Stretch Armstrong type He's figure. Where yeah, yeah, that's actually great. Where he just throws that long, lanky arm over the pile, but he's so skinny. I can't imagine that there's too much behind it. But even still, I thought that was a very gutless move. But also, like, why did he push Harden in the first place? I don't know. He's, Harden's he's, complaining for a continuation call, which happens on every play. Why, why, yeah. why was it that big of a deal? I'm not into writing guys off for one incident, and I won't do that here, but I oh, think it, it's, it. a, no, but it's a real character. Don't, don't go cowherd. You on really me. show your character with, by doing something like that, by, by throwing a punch over top of the pile in a, in a fight that you're not involved in. Like, really, this is that, that to me is a low, low level move. And I would say out of everything, I thought that was the most embarrassing until we found out that Rajon Rondo spat in Chris Paul's face. And Allegedly. I, nah, I'm going to say he absolutely did it. He, there's video enough, evidence enough to me. This is 2018. The fact that he was even able to conceal that spit to the point where there's questions about it is an incredible work by him and just shows you what a greasy guy he is. Because to me, it's a sunflower speed, uh, uh, sunflower seed type spit where, you know, if you've ever chewed seeds where you kind of just spit in the, ch- the seed, it's like, it's like with your tongue and you're just trying to get rid of the seed. That's clearly what he did to Chris Paul. Those two guys do not like each other, which is fine. And it's fun when those two guys don't like each other. And it would have been fun had they fought and Rondo didn't spit on him. And it just involved Chris Paul sticking his finger in Rondo's face and Rondo not having any of it. But I just think spitting on someone, I don't know, maybe it's my Eastern European background, but I feel like that's about the most disrespectful thing that you can do. And one of the more degrading things you can do to another human being. And that it's one of those things where if I was a judge and someone was like, I murdered this guy. I'd be like, well, the all the evidence is here. You killed that guy. Like, where well, you're going to jail. And then they're like, but your honor, 
This guy spat in my face. Oh, well, case dismissed. You're free, sir, because you can't spit in anyone's face. No matter what's being said, spitting in the face is basically there's no more rules anymore. You've the rules of engagement have now been outlined. You can do whatever you want. Now, like kicking somebody in the balls is on the table. Like you can grab some hair, like whatever you want to do. Eye gouge. It's all in play because you spat in my face. And for a player like Rondo, who I don't want to equate these things, but already has a homophobic slur like thrown at a gay referee. And we're only a couple of years removed from that for him to spit in somebody's face, which again, I think is just all time low, low class rankings should have been more than three games. I I don't know how the league settled on three games here for him. That's 10 to me, 10 games spit in someone's face. What job? And I I hate when people equate regular jobs to, to real, to the NBA or to professional sports leagues. But if I, but tell me what job you would ever keep if you spat in someone's face and it was recorded. But someone would get fired from the job if they spat. That's what I'm saying. Like if I spat in your face right now, I would get fired. Yeah, I mean, I know, I'm I not would. sure if there's cameras in here. It'd be your word against well, mine. Those guys would have to vouch for me. I think they like producers. you more. I know, but ugh, I don't know if I can get I, I don't know if I can get either of them Apparently on side. Apparently there are cameras Yeah, but are they here, recording? According to show. Okay, well there you go. Maybe you guys you guys have a microphone that works. Yeah. Would you would you tell on Donovan if you spat in my face? Yeah, well, lean in on this. I think if you spit on someone's face, 10 games. Are you guys with me? This is Show and Emil that are back there. Show, you go first. Yeah, I got to say, man, I, I'd go with Donovan on this one. I, 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 would, I would not sell him out. So you wouldn't tell on Donovan if you spat on my face. Wow. God, that's, that's good to know. Thank sorry, you. Sorry, man. Emil, am I really going to go to HR that's and no one's going to back me up? And I'm, I'm fired now because I've accused this employee of spitting in my face. No snitching. Emil. I like both of you. I've worked with both of you for a very long time. Who do you like more? But... I would say something like Donovan accidentally. Oh, thank God, this hurts. Thank you. Oh, how about, Emil, how about like this three game suspension? You're like me. You have Eastern European background. There's no way that spit in the face should be three games. How did spit become regional? Yeah, it just is. Like, what are you talking about, Eastern it European? Just it just well, is. It's very I'm insulting. Wrong. In, you think, yeah, in the Balkans, it's super yeah, insulting. So I'm wrong. You think in the Caribbean, you can just walk down no, the road you can't, but it's, in Trinidad and spit in someone's face? No, of course. It's universal. I'm just saying that you know that, yeah, in, in like, Eastern European countries. That's a real like go to sign. Talking about? It is. So in a, I'm telling you, Emil's back it in the is, man. It's true. It's oh, not. So in, in Osaka, Japan, you spit in someone's face. But so, they wouldn't oh, even do it. Because there's too much off. respect. <laughs> there's too much respect. No, there would be a murder. There I would try a... to protect both of you guys. I really yeah, would. And thank take you. you to the street. Just take care of business. Yeah, let us fight it out. So, uh, yeah, I thought it should have been more for Rondo. I thought it should have been fine. It was fine for Chris Paul. And I, I don't know. It was fine, I guess, for Ingram getting four games, even though. It's a cowardly move, and you could have got more. I'll tell you this. The Lakers, before we move on, they have the opposite problem as the Toronto Raptors. With the Raptors, it's like you got so many guys. How are you going to figure out who closes ball games with the Lakers? And I'm looking around at who's important with LeBron James. I'm like, I don't know who's going to close with them. Because to me, to my eye so far, Josh Hart is oh, like... Their second best player? Yeah. I was like, oh, I noticed Josh Hart. Lonzo's doing the same old Lonzo things, and... Ingram can make a shot. He's trying to empower him early on, but I'm not all the way there yet with you. And actually, Rondo has been Rondo's been great. third best player yeah. when he's not getting kicked out of games, averaging ten and a half assists. Here's their issue: they have, and their fourth best player might be. <laughs> they have no one Javel else than LeBron. Yeah, they're they're playing small ball lineups to close, similar mm-hmm. to what Luke Walton did when he was with the Warriors, experimenting with Kuzma at the five. But they're playing their small ball lineups can't shoot. You. You saw a revolution of small mm-hmm. ball lineups to get more shooting good on point. the floor. That's a good point. If your small ball lineup can't shoot, why are you playing small? Yeah, they've got. So I liked the idea of Rondo, LeBron, and uh, Lonzo all together because they're all elite playmakers, right? And I was like, oh, these guys are going to create and find each other and they can make good passes. But then, yeah, this Who's ball moves around. You're like, where is this? <laughs> it's all ending up in the same thing, which is LeBron ISO trying to get back down to the cup and, and score an easy bucket. So, yeah, you're right. They. They need some more shooters. He should have brought like a Kyle Corver type with him or somebody that can knock no, down the three. They should have signed someone who was previously there who totally fits in this misfit toys version of the Lakers. Nick Swaggy Young. How about uh, it's a knockdown three-point shooter? I don't think you need Corner another three. guy that's a what, volatile personality. What's the difference? You have team. five. Why not six? They already had Swaggy P, though. They already went through the Swaggy P experiment. And he there. actually played quite and well. It ended for his them. relationship. Well, no, 
that, snitching ended his relationship. Oh, that, that, so, so you side with cheaters as long as nobody gets caught, huh? That's no, interesting for I, you. You're no, only no, one no, of us no, is married. So no, just, excuse me. No, I, I, just, I, side, I just find that interesting. Coming I side from with not man. filming people when they don't know hey, it and posting it on Snapchat. If you're not up to anything bad, film away. Like <laughs> no. if you're up to good deeds, uh, if it's me and I'm helping an old lady carry her bags down the subway steps, sure, film away. Okay, but you for you doing whatever it is well, that gonna, you're let's, doing. Let's take this offline. I'm yeah, going to secretly <laughs> film you and what you say as yeah. soon as these mics right. aren't hot. That's... And then I'm going to post it online and we'll, we'll see what you're saying. Mr. Good Deeds Cup yeah, over we here. Are good Deeds Cup. All right. Speaking of good deeds, Serge Ibaka, so far, great deeds. Mafuzi. I know that the natural reaction to this is relax. It's Serge Ibaka. He's already shown us that he's well over the hill and that you're never going to get the Oklahoma City Serge Ibaka that the Orlando Magic and the Toronto Raptors chased. And I agree with a lot of that. He's never going to be the out to the perimeter, guard anybody player that he was in the past. He's older, he's slowed down, I get it. He's not going to average 15 points a game, which is what he's averaging so far this season. He's probably not the guy you want to rely on as your third best player, which he was in the game against the Celtics. But I'll say this. You referenced it off the top of the show when we were discussing Nick Nurse splitting him from Jonas Valanciunas. And the most important part of that development is... Not for Jonas Valanciunas. The biggest implication here is for Serge Ibaka because in the postseason last year, watching him play center and watching him do it defensively, I had a lot of question marks as to whether Serge Ibaka could still really guard anybody to great effectiveness. And watching him as a Raptor, as a power forward, or the role that they were, he was being used in in the offense of standing out to the side and hoping that he hits down a long three-pointer. Or when he gets the ball, he's going to make a terrible decision with it because he's not touching it enough. And so now he feels compelled to shoot a contested two or do his like little running floater move that he does that I've seen go in maybe three times. What I like about what we're seeing with Serge Ibaka is him in the five on offense and how that translates to everything else out defensively. He started the year against the Cavs, what, on 0 for 7, 0 for 8, and people are texting me, what a disaster, Serge Ibaka, classic Serge Ibaka. But I actually was of the other mind where the touches he was getting and the areas he was getting them in, which were offensive rebound pushbacks that he's missing, he was going to hit at a much higher clip, that those were not things to concern yourself with. What was good is that in that game, he had had something like three steals and two blocks and he was super active. He was getting those offensive rebounds and even putting himself in a position where he could miss those shots. He was active on the defensive end. He was tipping balls. He looked like he was communicating more. He seemed more involved. And I've always been hesitant when you talked about intangibles. Same thing with this theory of, ah, you got to let the big man touch the ball or he's going to quit on your basketball team. But I think there are personality types that lend themselves more towards that. And I think Serge Ibaka might be that guy. And as the five, as someone who's been playing so far in the middle of the offense and in the pick and roll and someone that's rolling to the basket and expecting a touch near the rim or uh, instead of him just floating out and standing at the three-point line completely unengaged and hoping that he's going to touch the basketball, having him involved a lot with the starters or the good players on the team has translated so far, again, early returns. We're maybe going to be talking next week about how terrible Serge Ibaka is, but leads me to believe that there's something promising here and that maybe they've unlocked not the vintage Serge Ibaka, but a more reliable and better version of Serge Ibaka than we've seen in his first two years with the Toronto Raptors. I think a lot of it too is exposure. He's not being put in situations that aren't favorable because it's not a given that he's going to start every night. Mm -hmm. And so when you're playing the Cavs, and you've got Kevin Love, who you know is going to space the floor, and you got Tristan Thompson, who's going to hit the offensive glass and bruise you down low. Nick Nurse says, "You know what, Serge, I like you," and, and he ended up having a pretty good game. But we're going to start Pascal Siakam on Kevin Love because he's a better matchup, and we're going to start uh, JV so he can fight with Tristan Thompson. Same draft class. Uh, they've always had good battles down low, and, and so I think he's being put in great matchups. And the other thing too is. When he's played the five by himself, a lot of what we're talking about is the return to his his defensive intensity. He's going to take shots. He's going to miss shots. We understand that. But him being an actual rim protector, or at least someone who bothers shots, and when you're pl- playing doing the it. five by yourself, there's a, a, another level of ownership, of understanding that this pain is mine. Mm-hmm. It's not just me and someone else. It's clear. The lines of delineation are clear. I'm the guy who needs to come off the help side and, and help when someone gets beat. I'm the guy who, when there's a fast break, I'm going to time those long three steps and try and pin it against the glass and really get my bench 
you know, up and then I'm going to do the, the whole finger wag and then two thumbs pointing down thing. Like, it's clear that, listen, there's no other defensive paint presence on the floor with you. This has to be you. And, and, and I think in a, in a way, not only just with, with defensive spacing, which is something we don't talk about, but is also a thing, but also psychologically, there's some ownership. And yeah, when he's on the floor, it's not like, Hey, is JV going to get that rebound? Am mm-hmm. I going to get that rebound? No, like it's you it's dog you. crash, the, crash the glass disrupt shots and run. And and he's done those things. Well, I still think he's more of a disruptor on defense, someone that does go out and challenge shots. And it's part of why he has never been a great defensive rebounder, that and his personality type. But so far this season, uh, it got to be commended for how well he's done on the offensive glass and keeping him closer to the basket. You know what that's resulted in? It's resulted in a springy play, like a relatively for his position, springy player uh, and a smart player getting to certain spots and collecting a bunch of offensive rebounds because so far he's been a demon on that end. I'm good with just doing love and hate now, unless you got any more surge or anything that we missed today. No, that's good. All right. So let's do love and hate. I'm going to say my love today is kismet because, and I don't necessarily know exactly what kismet means. I think it's, uh, I think it's Hebrew. I think it's Yiddish. But it's essentially means, in Don't my interpretation, my yeah, it's, I mean, I think that's just universal, like, that's the golden rule. But that we both kind of came up with something at the same time. It was serendipitous to a certain extent. You and I both had the exact same love when we came in here today, which was OG Ananobi. Close, anyways. Exact same, but yeah. Pretty close. Yours was OG Ananobi around the basket, and mine was OG Ananobi's offensive instincts. And I think that they're very similar, or that you would notice OG Ananobi's offensive instincts for what he does around the basket. His handle isn't quite there yet. I thought maybe in his first preseason game that we saw a little bit more, but nah, it's still quite raw. But one thing he still excels at is his cutting away from the basketball. He's an excellent cutter. He's a guy that follows up shots with, with put-back dunks. He knows where to go on the floor and where to fill on the floor, and he knows where to take his shots. And one thing I, don't, I can't really criticize about OG is that off the ball, like not touching the basketball, he just seems to always do the correct thing on offense. Yeah, and, and something that he's really worked on, I want to commend him for it because it's already showing early in the season. That's why I love early season games because you can really see the stark contrast in young players from a season ago and what they've worked on is his ability to finish in and around mm-hmm. the basket. And he, we saw him cut, you know, make baseline cuts and backdoor cuts last year and finish as well. But he's often finishing with dunks. And now he's been able to finish with both hands. He's used the basket as a shield to get tough layups in. He's He's got a, like a little bit, I don't want to say a floater, but a little bit of a push shot when he can't get all the way to the rim. His, his ability and dexterity around the rim has made him a better offensive player. And, and to the point where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? If he catches the ball clean, which is not always the case, in and around the rim, it's two points. It's I a, think it's if a bucket he catches it when his feet are set at the three point line. I have just as much confidence in him as almost anyone not named Kyle Lowry on this basketball team right now. Maybe Kawhi Leonard. Like honestly, CJ miles with his feet set is better. And probably Danny green is, but OG Ananobi, when he has his feet set outside the three point line and he just gets to catch it in the corner guys buckets, man, he really is. Doesn't have it off the bounce yet, but that's already a shot for him. What's your hate? My hate is, and we talked about this issue a little bit, but people freaking out that Kawhi wasn't playing against Washington. Everyone was so excited. You beat Boston, going to go 82-0, and and then comes out and he's not starting. Load management was the rationale. Second game of a back-to-back early in the season, someone who's p- played, I believe, 37 to 35 minutes, if memory serves me correct, which mm-hmm. it often doesn't. If I got that wrong, Emil just dub in my voice at that point with the correct amount of minutes. Um yeah, you, 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 this is something that was scheduled rest that was going to happen regardless of how he started the year. And Raptors fans, as excited as you are about Kawhi, you're excited because of where he might take you. That's going to happen in April, May, and hopefully June. So relax, because it is October. So I didn't really see that, but all I would say to any person that's upset about Kawhi Leonard sitting down early in the season is, buddy... Do you know why the falling out started with the Spurs? It was because he believed he wasn't handled correctly medically or given enough care and attention medically. So if you're the Toronto Raptors, I think the worst thing you could possibly do when it comes to getting off to a fresh start with Kawhi Leonard 
would be mishandling him medically or pushing him into an area where he's uncomfortable. Kawhi's calling the shots here. If they feel like he should get a night off, he's going to probably agree because he has a lot of money at stake at the end of the season. And the dude, again, loves basketball above a lot of things in his life. He's prioritized basketball above a lot of things. And I don't think he likes having that taken away from him. Other thing I saw quickly, yeah. reaction to the fact he wasn't sitting on the bench. Ooh, what does that mean? Why isn't he with the team? Also in the preseason, he wasn't on the bench when he wasn't playing. Should you read into that? We clearly, I'm here for that a little bit more. I say. We have an inferiority <laughs> complex. Yeah. You know who didn't sit on the bench when he wasn't playing? DeMar DeRozan. He watched, he watched in the back, watched with the equipment guys, did physio at the same time. Andre Iguodala. I just don't notice that. I guess I, I never really noticed that. So, well, I mean, he was hardly ever injured. Yeah, but he did. He didn't sit on the bench. Andre Iguodala, who is often injured or being rested, didn't sit on the bench when the Warriors beat the Jazz late. But when Jarebko hit a big shot, he ran out onto the court with no shirt on. Because you're not sitting physically with the team doesn't mean you're inv- not invested in what's going on. Now, he might not be invested. He could have been asleep for all the, I know. But I, I, there's a difference between causation and correlation. And I just don't think because he was sitting he, somewhere else in the arena or, or he, maybe he didn't even make the trip. Regardless, he, you don't have to be physically there to be present. My hate this week is not going to be existent. It's going to, I was going to say free throws because the free throw shooting is like a 74% or something like that. I was going to say reading into lineup data because the Raptors are trying all these different lineups and people are pouring over numbers, but I'm going to take my own advice on the Raptors on the lineup data and the free throws, which is that it's so early that judging anything on the floor overly negatively is kind of impossible at this point. And I know we could probably say the positive aspect of that, but I don't even think it's true because the Raptors had a lot of questions with Kawhi going into the season and Danny Green, and so far they've been they've been quite good, and it's been an incredible start to the season. But by the way, I will admit one thing to go out on a negative note for me. I'm sorry for telling people that the Cleveland Cavaliers could be the glasses and overalls and ponytail team, which is the team we overlook because maybe they're better than we think. They're not. I watched them play the Hawks last night. Uh, they lost by 20 points to an Atlanta Hawks team who was in Cleveland and set their franchise record for most three-pointers in a game because that Cavaliers defense is dreadful. Uh, Kevin Love doesn't look like he's going to be interested in taking over games. And they actually got a good Jordan Clarkson performance, and they still got shelled. They're they're 0-3 as we record this right now. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers are nothing to watch. Don't pay attention to them. They're going to bottom out in the Eastern Conference, and I'm sorry for trying to convince anyone otherwise. So, Dan Gilbert, you wanted to see what life was like without LeBron, eh? Yeah. Well, guess what? You know what? I think I texted you guys this. They played that Hawks game like they were just holding serve until LeBron checked in. And they kept looking back over the bench like, when's LeBron going to come in and close this basketball game? Like, no, you guys are going to have to do it. It's on Rodney Hood. They're like, oh, this isn't good. Brick, brick, brick. I'm game actually over. sad I didn't draft Trey Young in fantasy. <sighs> Agree. He's going to take so many shots. Uh, again, thanks to all the associates that download, subscribe, review this podcast. Again, subscribing is the, if you're a big fan of this, it's the most helpful thing for us. Get it every single week that this thing comes out. Thanks again to Show. Thanks again to Emil for producing this excellent podcast. We always get a ton of feedback on on the production value of these things, and these guys do a great job. So you can do the same for them. Leave a, leave a review on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next week.